Well, when our daughter uh, was a little girl, she's now 24, but she was a determined little thing. I used to say she was stubborn, but then I decided that that wasn't really a very nice thing to be saying to, about her all the time. <clears throat> Just goes to show what we, what we lived with. But then I started using more positive words, like she's very goal-oriented. She was very determined, very persistent, which all sound much nicer. And frankly, I think they're a much better description of her personality. Um, I'm telling you that if she wanted something, she rarely let go of that desire. She could find a loophole for anything if she didn't want to do something. And I laugh because she's actually in law school now, so that's probably a great trait for her chosen profession. <laughs> but one of the things that she was really persistent about when she was little was coming to our bedroom three, four, five times a night until like first grade. I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. I think it was kindergarten. <laughs> I mean, this girl did not sleep through the night for a really long time. And it was one of those things where, you know, our, our sons who were older would come down if they had a stomach ache or if they had a bad dream, but not Anna Man. She would come down, didn't matter. She just wanted to be with us. And so I cannot tell you the countless nights where I would wake up in the night, open my eyes, and have this little person staring at me at the side of the bed and jump out of my skin. If you all have kids, you've probably experienced that middle of the night trauma <laughs> that we parents go through when we wake up to one like that. Anyway, um, this would happen to us on such a regular basis, and uh, we finally resolved it. If you ever want to know, you know how we did it, come and ask me. Most of the advice didn't do us any good. But uh, the point of the story is that she was so persistent, and it is a great personality trait. It's one of the many things that I love about her. It's also one of the things that we heard about in today's scripture reading that Jesus was explicit about in this parable from Luke 18. In fact, it's called the parable of the persistent widow. I particularly like this uh, scripture reading because parables, you may or may not know, are small stories that Jesus tells throughout his ministry, and they always um, have something to teach us, of course, but we're never quite sure what. It takes a while to unpack these parables. And so the reason I particularly like this one is Jesus just starts right out and says, this is a parable about your need to pray always and not lose heart. Now, hang in there with me for a minute, because if when you hear that, you think, ugh, here's another thing telling me I just need to pray harder and all my problems will go away, or I just need to have more faith and everything will be made right. If that's what you're thinking, hang in there, because like I said, parables are never that easy to decipher. There is always more than meets the eye, even when Jesus tells us exactly what it's about. So the thing is, um, you always have to kind of take a parable and turn it upside down a little bit. Give it a little shake, you know, peer in, see if you can figure out what it means. See what emerges. 
And so after some mental gymnastics of my own the last few, few days and a couple of weeks of thinking this through, kind of standing on one foot, closing one eye, trying to figure out what it would emerge for me, here's what did. For starters, Jesus flips the script on us a little bit here. What we have, uh, according to Jesus in the story, is a widow who had some sort of injustice that was done to her. Somebody had taken something from her or, or something unfair had happened to a woman of her position. And remember that widows, orphans, and foreigners held a special place in God's heart and in God's commands throughout our whole biblical history. Widows were thoroughly marginalized in ancient society. Without their husbands, if they didn't have a next of kin, a male relative to take them in, they were on their own. They had no standing, no status, no money. They were the outcasts, one of the invisibles. And so God's desire to protect this vulnerable group goes way back to the book of Exodus when God reminds his people how to care for one another now that they're going to live in community. He tells them, remember, I called you out of slavery, out of oppression, out of mistreatment and abuse. And he says to them, basically, I will not allow you to do that to each other. Here's what he says in Exodus 22. You shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall not abuse any widow or orphan, and if you do abuse them when they cry out to me, I will surely heed their cry. From the very beginning of our story, and all throughout scripture, God sees and protects the brokenhearted and the downtrodden in our societies. So this widow goes to the judge, and she says, grant me justice against my opponent. Now, we don't know what that justice would look like for her. We have no idea who the opponent was or what the issue was. And in fact, it probably doesn't matter, or Jesus would have included it in the, in the parable. But what Jesus did say is that the woman kept coming back again and again. She was persistent in her request for justice. And the judge changes his mind. She is the star of our story here. She's the star because in a story in which, in this particular uh, parable, Jesus gives this mistreated woman, this ignored woman on the margins of society, he gives her agency. He gives her a, a, a sense of authority and the use of her voice to stand up for herself against the corrupt powers of that time. I want you to think of people like Rosa Parks or Corey Tinboom, Mother Teresa. This woman was given a voice. And, and it's not just that the judge in the story was a kind of slacker judge. It's worse. Because he was in the very position that God had created and appointed to make sure justice was upheld in the community. You see, at the same time that God was directing the Israelites, like in the, the scripture that we just read about how to take care of one another, 
God was also directing Moses to appoint judges to keep the peace in their growing little community. And so Moses said to the Israelites, choose people from among you who are wise, who are discerning and reputable to be your leaders. And then he charged them with giving everyone in the community an impartial and fair hearing. Whether they were residents or aliens didn't make any difference. He said no case is too great or too small. He said do not be intimidated by anyone. And he said in the end, the judgment is God's anyway. In other words, discern wisely what God would have you do. See with the eyes of God what needs to be done. This was the charge of the ancient Jewish judges as appointed by Moses and throughout the lineage from then forward. And this is what Jesus referenced in his parable. Here we have a judge who was supposed to be taking care of business in a fair and impartial way with what we might hear today as a preferential option for the poor and the marginalized. Someone who was supposed to see with the eyes and the heart of God as he upheld the laws. And he wasn't. We're told, in fact, that he was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people at all. He'd kind of lost his perspective. He'd lost his why, the very foundation of why he did what he did. Some of you have maybe heard of Simon Sinek. He's become wildly popular for talking about the importance of knowing why you do what you do. How to find your why, he calls it. Your why should be at the center of everything you do, he says. And from there, it ripples out to everything else that we do. This judge had lost his why. We see this happening all the time, don't we? People in positions of power who are supposed to be protecting the most vulnerable and susceptible people in our lives, in our society, either willfully turning a blind eye to what they see or getting lost in the expectations and the demands of the job that they're supposed to do or in the culture or just clocking in to get a paycheck and they forget why they're there to begin with. I'm sure you can all think of examples in your own minds in our world of people forgetting their why. I started to make a list. I thought it would be kind of, you know, a fun way to give you all some examples, and it was an embarrassingly long list, and I decided I didn't need to go there. You probably have people in your own minds, people in our world, in our society, from high-profile cases to people we see in our own little communities, maybe even the person looking in the mirror. We forget our why. The world is fraught with people who have forgotten their why and lost their way. Harvard Business Review chronicled what makes good leaders fall. And I found this interesting because they noted that leaders who lose their way are not necessarily bad people, not always anyway. They're people who lose their moral compass. And then they succumb to whatever seductions are in their path. Very few people go into leadership roles 
to cheat or do evil. But we all have the capacity to commit actions that we deeply, deeply regret if we don't stay grounded. That's what Jesus is reminding us today, I think, that we need to stay grounded in working not for our own gain, not for our own power, or to maintain our own status or image, but for justice. We need to stay grounded in working for justice. This is a parable about the need to pray always and not lose heart, Jesus told us, because nobody wants justice more than God in this world. The problem, if there is one, is that God uses people like us to make it so, mere mortals. And I don't know about you, but I don't always feel up to the call. It has not always been my experience to pray, always. It has not always been my experience to not lose heart. And there are days when I certainly question the swiftness of God's justice. But then, too, there are days when occasionally the process of praying has changed me, has changed what I have been praying for, caused me to recognize my own unjust heart, has caused me to be more accepting of God's will, not my own. The great preacher Fred Craddock described this change uh, as a process by which a person is being hammered through long days of ni- and nights of prayer into a vessel that will be able to hold the answer when it comes. I love that image. He also, Craddock, tells the story of an elderly black minister who was supposed to preach to a large gathering of people who were there for a a civil rights issue in their community. And after reading this very parable that we heard this morning about the widow and the judge, this old preacher gave a one-sentence sermon. He stood up to the whole crowd, and he said, until you have stood for years knocking at a locked door, your knuckles bleeding, You do not really know what prayer is. Powerful. And while I love both images, and I believe that both preachers were right about the persistence of prayer molding us, I also want us to look at this another way this morning. If we hear this parable and we imagine ourselves as the widow, the one that Jesus calls to persistence, then it naturally follows that God might be the judge, who, if we just bug him enough, will eventually come to his uh, his senses and grant our requests. But it's a parable after all. What if Jesus is flipping the script again? What if God is the one persistently knocking, coming back again and again, knocking on the door of the judge seeking justice? Think about that. God is tirelessly pursuing the judge for an impartial and fair ruling 
on behalf of someone who has no voice and no agency in the world. It's not such a leap to think about it. Not such a stretch to think about God as a persistent widow. After all, Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. When I had no status, no standing, and people gave me nothing but lip service, I was a widow. I was scared. You took on my cause, and you fought for me, and you made it right. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me, Jesus said. So what if God is the widow in this story? If that's the case, then perhaps we are the judges. Finally, worn down by God who is persistently pestering us to pay attention to the needs of the world, to the needs of the brokenhearted and the oppressed, not to oppress them further, but to set them free, to make sure that justice is done on behalf of those who need it. God longs for justice to be done in this world. It is all throughout our scriptures. Psalm 41.1 says, Happy are those who consider the poor. And I love what one translation says of that, by the way, that first Psalm 41.1. This translation says, Blessed is the one who gives active consideration to the weak and the poor. Talk about putting our faith into movement for something. Give active consideration. I like Proverbs 29.8. It says, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. And again in Proverbs 31.8 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And I also love this one, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. On and on it goes throughout scripture. I just pulled out a few. But justice and the stories of God redeeming people through the hearts and minds of other people in the community just go on and on. And of course, Jesus takes this call for justice and runs with it in the New Testament. The Gospels are full of the command to care for each other, to care for people, to care for the most vulnerable, to love them. He calls out the unjust religious leaders who are all about the law and the legalism, but who miss the big picture. They miss what's going on in front of them. Jesus lifts people up wherever he goes. He sets the example for us. He is the one we are to follow. There is much in this world that is broken and unjust. This has been the case throughout time, but here's what I suspect that when it comes to righting the wrongs of the world, sometimes we're the widow and sometimes we're the judge. Either way, we need to see as God sees. Not just as privileged people who are so focused on our own agendas that we're oblivious to the lives of the most vulnerable among us, but 
to consider who needs us to pray for them. Who, what group of people needs us to pray for their justice to be done? Who needs us to pester God? And who might God be sending us out in the world to actually bring about justice on their behalf by putting our faith into action? This is a parable about the need to pray and not lose heart. If I continue to pray for justice, even when the very people who are in charge of it seem to shrug their shoulders with contempt, then I will not lose heart. Because maybe our persistent prayers are how God gets what God wants in the world. Through prayer, people are moved to action. Through prayer, I am moved to action. Through prayer, we begin to see things that we might have missed before because we start seeing with the eyes of God. We are mere humans, but God uses each and every one of us nonetheless to change the world. And so sometimes, yes, also, we are the judges whom God pesters to make it so. So pray on, friends, pray always, and do not lose heart in this world. Amen.